So let me ask you a tricky question this morning. Do you talk to other drivers when you're in the car? Now, I'm not talking about people who are in the same car that you are. Ginger does that. Ginger is the world champion backseat driver. Even if she doesn't say anything, you know, it's... She pushes on that brake pedal that isn't there and gasps. Guys, any of you guys relate? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm talking about drivers in other cars. Now, I, I want to be really honest with you this morning. I'm the world's worst. And when I studied this passage of, of Scripture, I actually, had, the Lord nudged me about this. And, and you'll understand why as we move through this. So, you know, I, I say things like, you jerk. You idiot. You're stupid. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, my, my dad taught me the word scissor bill. I didn't know what that was, but I looked it up because I knew he, he, he was saying that for a reason. The word scissor bill means someone who's incompetent or objectionable. So now I can say, you're incompetent and I object when I talk to other drivers. So I want to talk to you this morning about, about anger. And uh, we, we're careless with our words sometimes. We'll say, you ever call yourself stupid? Yep. Ever call anybody else stupid? Does Jesus care? So, you know, some of you are going to be thinking this morning, he, he's getting nitpicky now if I can't even call somebody an idiot when I'm in my car. But I'll show you how I came to that conclusion in a, in a few minutes. The reason it's a big deal is because every life matters to God. You know, black lives matter, white lives matter. Talked last week about the Sunday school song, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. For God so loved the world. He loves everybody. So the question is, do I love everybody? Every human being matters. So notice on your outline there, the first blank is, do I love everyone? And then the blank fill in is everyone. So the implication of that is, I can love everyone in this room, but do I love everyone? Everyone. There's a lot of difference in loving everyone then there is loving everyone, every individual. It brings it into a new dimension. So this morning we're in Matthew chapter 5. If you brought a Bible or a cell phone or whatever you use for a Bible, if you don't have one, there's one under the, under the seat that you're sitting on. Turn to page 969. And this is the parable uh, uh, on the mount, which is a, probably the best-known sermon of Jesus, even by people who are not followers of Christ. And in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, I want to begin with that verse. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the bothersome thing about that verse is the Pharisees 
were regarded as the spiritual giants of the day. If you would have asked the, the average Jew who the most spiritual people were, they would have said, before Jesus came, they would have said the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. These guys wear robes. They're fastidious about all their rules and regulations. But the problem was that when you're around a Pharisee, they made you feel less. They made, they made you feel like they were superior and you were less. The word Pharisee even means separated one. So the idea of a religious person, the way we talk about a religious person is, they make you feel like this. And I thought about this a lot over the years. It's amazing how we as followers of Christ, we don't mean to, but sometimes when we're around people, they feel like we think we're superior to them. Or they feel like, well, you know, I could never be that. Because sometimes we distance our, <coughs> excuse me, ourselves from them. So notice the blank there, be better than the Pharisees. <clears throat> the way I thought about that was it doesn't say, don't be a better Pharisee. <laughs> it says be better than the Pharisees. Be more Christ-like than the Pharisees. So let no debt remain outstanding, familiar verse, <clears throat> except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. We've talked a lot about this in recent months, that the big deal to Jesus is loving people. Take all the law, take all the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, the law and the prophets. If you love God and love people, you have fulfilled all of that. That's the measure of our life. So I want to read, <coughs> excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Excuse me. This is the first of six little sections that we're going to go through in the next several weeks. <clears throat> Jesus began by saying, you have heard that it was said, and he does that every time in these six passages, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, so he says, you have heard, this is the way it is, and he says, but I tell you, and what I want you to notice is that he, <clears throat> he ups the ante. You heard don't murder, but I'm going to tell you. And then he says something that probably should be a little bothersome to us. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. I didn't make that up. That's what Jesus said. He really ups the ante, doesn't he? Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. In other words, if you're worshiping and you remember somebody's got something against you or you've got something against somebody else, leave your gift on the altar First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. 
Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, <clears throat> we said last week, Jesus is a radical, thank you. Jesus is a radical. We don't often look at him as radical, but he definitely was a radical. And this is one of the greatest examples right here. He calls us to a standard that most of us really don't pay much attention to. I don't. When I'm yelling at somebody in another car, that bothers Jesus. And I don't think about that. Ah, Pastor, you're getting pretty nitpicky. Well, let's, let's, let's go through this. Number one, take anger seriously because God does. Now, <clears throat> Ginger and I, the last three weeks in August, uh, took a vacation. And uh, Ginger was on the back of my, of my Harley trike for 2,000 miles. Pretty, pretty admirable. And uh, what was so fun was... She sits back there behind me, and we're going down the road, and she'll put her hands on my shoulders, and uh, once in a while she'll pat me. She even rubs my shoulders sometimes. <laughs> sometimes she scratches my back. And you know, it's kind of a tender thing, right? And I'll, when, she do, when she does any of those things, I'll reach back and I'll pat her on the knee, you know, Get along real well. So we, so we're on the road for two thousand miles, and by the time we got home, it seemed like those pats were gone, gone away. <laughs> wasn't getting my back scratched anymore. In fact, she's a little cranky. I sat on the patio after we got home, and I thought, I was thinking about we'd we'd been kind of picking at each other about something. I thought, I think Ginger's ready for me to go back to work. <laughs> You've been around too much. We all get irritated at times, and we all uh, probably say some things that we wish we wouldn't have said. But the kind of anger that Jesus is talking about, at least initially when he talks about murder, is you have heard it said, don't kill someone. But then as he goes through, and these verses that are recorded, he's getting at the root of murder. And the root of murder is anger. Anger that is undealt with. You probably know someone who has a fiery temper. I don't know if it's always been that way, but that fiery temper at some point gets out of hand and really the root of murder is anger toward another person. Vicious. So you remember the verse Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, in your anger do not sin. So we all get angry. There's a righteous kind of anger. Uh, Jesus was angry. But he says, in your anger do not sin. Well, what does that mean? It means 
if your anger is hurtful toward another person, even in words. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not let and do not give the devil a foothold. So I think about giving the devil a foothold. The word in the Greek is the word tapos, and it means like if there's this whole section right here, and there's one little corner, right, one little space right here. That's the word that is used for do not give him a foothold. One little place. Because if you do, the nature of the devil is he's not satisfied with that one little place. So the way I thought about this verse and I was thinking this through was, how many of you would say to Satan, come on in, do your thing, welcome here. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That I would open up my life in a way that would give the devil permission and room to work. That's what he's saying here. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a place to work because he'll exploit that if he possibly can. Jesus was angry. We remember the most obvious example is when he cleared the money changers out of the temple area. He was turning over tables. Money was flying every place. He was shouting at them. They were exploiting people. The temple tax that they charged was in their own money, so they had an exchange rate to take Roman money or Jewish money that was used, and the exchange rate was exorbitant. So you bring your, your dollar, or you bring your $10, and I'll give you a dollar back. I mean, it was exorbitant. It was ripping people off. They'd sell people bad sheep or sacrifices. And so Jesus walks into the temple and he sees this place that's supposed to be a, point of, a place of prayer and the, there's chaos happening every place. There's animals. People are cheating and being ripped off. He was ticked off. And he should have been. The difference is, though, he didn't hate the people. He hated what they were doing. That's a big difference, isn't it? So... When I'm talking about yelling at another driver, am I just upset because of what they're doing? Or am I demeaning toward them, thinking less of them? Would I say that same thing if I were face-to-face with them? So the second blank there is be slow to anger. First of all, take your anger seriously. Second, be slow to anger. When I was in the, in the grocery business, I had an assistant manager who, his name was Wayne, he was a great big guy. He was probably six, two or three, and a big, big man. And he, he rushed every place he went, he was, he was in a hurry, which grocery store managers kind of like that. But I came in on a Sunday afternoon just to kind of check on things and see if everything was, was going okay, and... And I saw Wayne, and he was running around the store, and he had this look on his face, just like, get out of my way. And he was hurrying and throwing things and rushing here and there. Well, that's not the kind of atmosphere you want in a place of business, you know, where you're running people off, basically. So I had to have a conversation with him about his attitude. He was quick to anger. You could set him off in a heartbeat. 
My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You remember in the list of things describing love, one of the things that is said is, love is not easily angered. It's one of the descriptions of love. Now, I... I uh, this is in no way an excuse, but when I had a lot of pressure in my life, I mean a lot of pressure in my life, I would be short with my kids. And, uh, you know, flare up. And I, <clears throat> I don't do that very often anymore, except with one situation, that's Jake. In the morning, my dog Jake... I'm sitting in my office doing my devotions, and when I, he's laying in the room beside me or just outside the room. When I finish my devotions, I get up and I walk into the bedroom, and he knows when I get up for my devotions and walk in the bedroom that he's going to get to go for a walk. So, you know, here's this 110-pound dog, and he's all excited and just having a big time. And I go in the closet, and he, come, he runs right in the closet, just puts his nose right up against me, and I'm trying to take my pajamas off and put my shorts on. Get out of here. And he, he, it's kind of a game to him now, so he'll step back into the doorway, and he'll just stare at me. <laughs> but what I figured out is I just stare back. And pretty soon he lays down on the floor. Then I go out to put on my socks. While I'm putting on my socks, he's walking back and forth so I can't hardly get my shoes and socks on. <laughs> he's excited. He wants to go for a walk. So I'll say, Jake, get out of here. And I have to say it two or three times and firmly. And then he'll go over and he'll look at me again and I'll say, you lay down. And he, boom, he hits the floor. But I thought about that, and I thought, I taught him that by letting him get away with stuff. And then I get angry with him. I wouldn't talk to you that way. I wouldn't talk to Ginger that way. She'd, ooh, man, oh, man. <laughs> Be slow to anger. And then choose your words carefully. Words matter. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of hellfire. I've always looked at that verse and I thought, golly, Jesus, you really... That sounds serious, but it doesn't sound fair to me. Calling somebody a fool, is that that big a deal? I, I don't ever remember. I might have, when I was a kid growing up to one of my brothers, I might have said, I'd like to kill you. Did you ever say that? The word, the word raka literally means a blockhead or an empty head. So what we would say was, you haven't got a brain in your head. Is that that big a deal? 
Well, imagine saying to one of your kids, you haven't got a brain in your head. Does that matter? The word fool, we would say you're stupid or you're a moron. When I was, uh, the first rooted group that we had here, uh, I wasn't leading it, I was part of the group. But as people went around the circle in that rooted group and told their stories, uh, I, was telling, I was telling Tim this morning before church, several people, I don't remember all of them, uh, I, re- I remembered Tim because it was the one that finally made me understand Person after person said, my dad said to me when I was a little kid. Now, I don't know that I would blame everything that happened to that person on their dad, but if your dad says, you are stupid, you're no good, you don't have a brain in your head, if if they tell you that often enough, pretty soon you start believing it. Why did Jesus make a big deal out of that? Because you're diminishing a person. They are created in the image of God, and you are demeaning them, deriding them. And it makes them feel smaller. It's discouraging rather than encouraging. We want people to be better, not worse. So anger is a... A dangerous thing. I don't want people to feel like when they walk away from a conversation with me, I'm worthless. I'm no good. You want quite the opposite. That's why this is a big deal. Then be self-aware of your demeanor. It was funny this morning. I saw him in there. Yeah, he's sitting right there. We were outside talking about football. And... Uh, I love football, and I like, to, I like to talk sports with guys and rib each other. So we were talking about teams that we like, and, and uh, John Gruden's name came up. Anybody know who John Gruden is? He's, he's the coach of the Oakland Raiders. You remember what kind of a look he has on his face all the time? He looks meaner than a snake. And he's really not. He's really a pretty good guy. But he looks meaner than a snake. And he says to me, that's kind of like the way you look. (laughs) Now, the reason that was funny to me, or struck me, is because when I was leading at Faith Chapel and with our kids, honestly, I'm not a mean man. You've heard me tell about me having to convince a staff member in Seattle when I was pastoring there. I'm a really nice man, Mel. (laughs) I had to tell her that day after day after day for about three months before she believed me. But the reason that struck me is because people have told me, you look mean. So I actually remember driving down the road thinking about this, and I thought, I want to have a better demeanor. Do I really look mean? So I didn't change the expression on my, on my face at all, and I just looked in the car mirror, and I thought, you look mean. 
I didn't feel mean, but I looked mean. So your demeanor matters a lot, doesn't it? When people first see you, is it like, oh, he's a mean guy. I don't, I don't want people to feel that way. I don't, I don't feel mean. My kids used to tell me that they could always tell when I was mad because these muscles right here in my jaw would start moving. They'd know, uh-oh. I've been watching this series of, uh, any of you guys ever watch any of the Ken Burns series? He's done, he's done several of them. They're documentaries on, the one I was watching was on the National Parks. Watched one on jazz. Uh, and uh, I was watching his series on jazz, and you guys are going to think this is so stupid. Uh, I like, you know, Benny Goodman. I love Benny Goodman. You probably don't even know who Benny Goodman is. You're looking at me, you don't. He was a musician during the Second World War. You know, I was alive during the Second World War, but barely. But I loved that era of music, swing and jazz. So I'm watching this documentary by Ken Burns about jazz, and my, one of my heroes, Benny Goodman, comes up, and he starts talking about the fact that Benny Goodman was a perfectionist with himself, and he was a perfectionist with other people. And so if a if a musician in his band would make a mistake, he wouldn't say anything, he just looked. I know that look, because people have told me I have it. And I don't like that. Our demeanor matters so much. Some of you who have been here a long time will appreciate this. Uh, ben Blakesley, who was a pastor here for a couple of years, used to work for me at Faith Chapel for many, many years, and I knew Ben all of his life, dedicated him when he was a baby. And uh, when Ben was leading worship, Ben and Chris Smith, during a period of time, were both leading worship. They were sharing the platform, and I stood in the front row, and I had this little black book. I still have a little black, it's a brown book now. I don't use it as much as I used to. I, I learned to be careful with it, but I'd pull my little black book out during worship, you know what Ben would think? What'd I just do? <laughs> Wouldn't have had anything to do with him. He was a great worship leader. I was thinking about something and I wanted to get it down so I wouldn't forget. But he'd come up to me after the service and he'd say, what'd I do? <laughs> Our demeanor is important. Then be quick to reconcile. Therefore, if you... If you are offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I want you to think about that. Okay, Jim, you're leading worship. Here we are, worshiping the Lord, and, and all of a sudden, Bill's out the door. All of a sudden, Victor's out the door. All of a sudden, Chris is out the door, and Jim's up there thinking, what? Golly, what'd I do? What if we took that passage literally? He's talking about worship there. And he's saying, if you're worshiping and you remember that there's an, 
a situation in your life that's not reconciled, leave, go get that taken care of, and then come back and worship. Woo! That's pretty radical. But that shows you how seriously Jesus takes relationships and disputes in relationships and anger toward other people. If you have a, let me just say it this way. God is saying to you and me, if you have a problem with somebody, you go talk to them about it first before you talk to me. That, golly. What would that do if we took relationships that seriously? Talk to the person before you talk to God. Now, if I know there's something wrong in my life, I'm quick to talk to God. I'm not as quick to talk to other people. That's how seriously he takes it. Then the next line is, we don't always have to be right. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you still while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. So notice that phrase, settle matters quickly. Now, I like to be right. In fact, I think I'm always right. Don't you? Heck yes. Ginger and I will get in an argument about something, we used to do this all the time. We'd get in a, and it wouldn't be a big deal. We'd just say, she'd say one thing, and I'd say, no, that's not true. This is true. And we'd go back and forth for a while, and then I, w- then I would say, how much do you want to bet? <laughs> bet you $100. Well, I'm only right about 1% of the time. That can be very expensive. We think we're right, but we're not right nearly as much or nearly as often as we think we're right. So the idea is if you have a dispute with someone, he uses the example of going to court, you believe you're right and you'll hire the meanest lawyer you can find to prove you're right. You might not be. We don't always have to be right. Jesus, in another section that we'll be talking about later, gets a little bit more clear about this. If someone asks you to go a mile, go another mile. In other words, err on the side of benefiting the other person. I I, I don't want to say this like it's some kind of a mandate or something, but I will even be more generous with somebody than I should be because I want to make sure that they know they're important. We don't always have to be right. And so often we have the attitude, especially kids in school, growing up, you've got, you got to teach your kids this. You're going to pay for this. They bully each other. They talk down to each other. They call each other stupid. That's demeaning to another human being. And too often adults do the same thing. Here's the alternative. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling or shouting, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. It's a lot better, it's a lot more pleasant world to live in, isn't it? When we're kind and compassionate, we're a blessing to each other. We don't have to always prove we're right. Lose the argument. What's the big deal? So I want you to bow your heads, if you would, please, and just ask a couple of questions. We always ask the question at the end of a message, what did the Lord say to you today? So my assumption is, while I was talking this morning, I was pretty vulnerable about my, my uh, lack of perfection in this area. Maybe the Lord nudged you about a relationship. Is there any unresolved conflict in your life? When are you going to deal with that? Is there any attitude towards someone that you need to deal with? Let's do that today. Are there any words you need to stop using? Hurtful words. They're a big deal. Is there anyone you've written off? Is there anyone that you need to work things out with? Lord, this morning, as we ask ourselves those questions, we realize uh, we probably don't take seriously enough our words and how we treat people. We'll use excuses. Lord, please forgive us for that and help us realize by this passage of Scripture how seriously you take our words and our attitude toward other people because you value people you value us. You want us to be healthy. So whatever you said to us this morning, probably far different things for different people, but Lord, would you, would you help us get that taken care of? Your heads are still bowed and your eyes are still closed. I want to ask if there's anybody here this morning who's not yet received Jesus. You've not yet said to Jesus, I'm all in. But you, but you want to be all in. You want to give your life to him and follow him. While everybody else's heads are bowed, would you just look up at me if that's the case with you? And maybe even just slip up your hand and your hand would be saying, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. Yeah, you've, you've said that before, brother. You're all in. Yes, I see a hand in the back too. I'm all in. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Lord, thanks for these dear ones this morning who raised their hand and we pray that your grace would move toward them, that you would fill them with joy as they leave today, that they know that they're forgiven and a child of God. We love you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Let's, let's stand together.
this morning and you haven't gotten a new believers packet or material Jared is standing by the, the guy with the Oregon duck shirt over there standing by the door <laughs> and uh, he can give you one of those uh, there's also a kids table uh, some of you are being nudged about serving our kids they're so important to us so 